Amen. Well, guys, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 13 tonight. We want to invite you to be there with us. If you want to open up a Bible, you're welcome to do that. You have Bibles in front of you with page numbers on the screen. But we're also inviting you, uh, if you want to use our little Bible booklet that we've been using for Proverbs, it's probably only what we're going to use in the book of Proverbs once we finish Proverbs. So again, this is just a temporary thing, but it just seemed very helpful in the book of Proverbs. So in it, we've printed the whole chapter 13, so hopefully you picked up one of those when you came in the door, uh, so you can track along with us. If you're with us online, we want to make sure you have the same invitation, so we're letting you know that we've put that booklet online. You can navigate to our website at calvaryrosal.com. Uh, go under the messages and click download, uh, and that w- under the today's message, and it will already be there as notes that you can download. It will be a PDF that you can print out or just use that on an electronic device. We'd love to have you do that because really part of our intention is that you would just be able to mark this up. I'm going to use just a, a little bit of a legend that I've been using for the last few weeks. It's there on page 12 of your booklet, simply highlighting that which is good and bad, what is the cause, what is the result uh, in the midst of that. That's how I'm going to work with it. It'll help me to kind of track through just the teaching of it, but you're welcome to go at it any way you want. I mean, obviously, just mark the thing up uh, as it kind of works for you. Make little notes in there. Uh, again, that's kind of our intention so that it hopefully would be something that would just help. you to be able to track and just understand the Proverbs as we work through them. So before we dive in, let's do what we do before we we approach. Let's just humble ourselves and ask for God's help. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I certainly would just long that you'd be asking as well, that you'd be asking for God to make his word known to you, that he would help you to understand, but he'd also help you to get something specific that there'd be, you know, maybe one of these Proverbs that would just be yours, just something that would be a gift from God to you, Him speaking into your life. So let's ask Him for that together. Father, we come this evening, and we do want to humble ourselves under Your mighty hand, and even ask right now that You would help Your Word to accomplish in our lives the very purposes for which You've sent it, that we would understand it, And in that understanding, our life would be in that process of being transformed. And I know that that's what you do. And God, I'm asking that that would happen tonight, that both clarity and and understanding would be given. But I'm asking that you would speak in the midst of this evening, through all of it. But for each of us tonight, would you help us to hear even just one of these Proverbs that would be special, that would be just that gift from you to us that place where you would work in us, where we would know that you see what we're facing and going through right now, that you care and you're at work in our lives, that we are your workmanship, that you are fashioning and shaping. Thank you that you are doing that. Do that tonight. Do it here. Do it now. In our lives, draw us to you and what you have for us. We ask together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We so need God's wisdom. It's so much needed. It's certainly what makes one of the book book of Proverbs such an incredible space to be able to communicate into our lives. But it's also really important that we understand not all wisdom is God's wisdom. Not everything that people call wisdom is there. So there can be other sources, worldly sources, and it's a very different wisdom. I find myself thinking about it. Some of you are reading with us in our daily Bible reading. You're in James, and so on Monday, uh, we were reading in the book of James where it just described this for us, and it said, okay, who is wise? Who is understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I mean, wisdom is not just understanding, it's living. It's like if you know wisdom, live that so that your life testifies of that. But then it says, but... If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. He says, here's the thing you need to understand. Not everything that masquerades as wisdom is really wisdom. He says, if something sounds like wisdom in your life, but it's either prideful, it's in this place where you have this self-seeking in your heart, or it's envious, it's jealous, it's driven by that, he says, that's not God. Don't lie. Don't lie to yourself. Don't, don't believe that, because that comes from another source. It's either worldly, the earth, kind of its source, or it's sensual, it's from your own just reasoning, it's from your own flesh, or it's demonic, but it's not God. 
It's not God. That's not his wisdom. In fact, the world's wisdom, that undis- selfish wisdom, it says, for wherever envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That this bad wisdom, if you will, it doesn't do good things. It makes a mess of people's lives. That's why we don't want it. But godly wisdom is entirely different. He says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. He says when God gives wisdom, it's an entirely different thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that works effectively into our lives, and that's what we need. I draw you to that tonight because as we approach the book of Proverbs tonight, which is God's wisdom, that's what we want. We want him to just draw us to that which would be just of him, not the world's way of doing things, not our flesh, not demonic, God's wisdom. So needed in our life. In fact, as we join ourselves here in chapter 13, that's exactly where we are. We made it up through verse 9 last week, so you can join me in Proverbs 13, verse 10. So we pick up the, the section and we dive right in where it just tells us much of the same thing that we just read in James. It says, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So we kind of look at this, and we kind of just note, he says, okay, by pride, that's the bad thing. That's the thing that would be dangerous. He says, that only creates strife. That only creates strife. In contrast to that, he says, but with the well-advised, with those who are walking in this in a very different way, that would become something that would be this beautiful place of wisdom. So it's kind of an interesting comparison. Again, that's one of the powers of the book of Proverbs is to make sure you're trying to kind of compare uh, the sides of the verse because in one sense, uh, you begin to understand. On one hand, we get pride, which is this arrogance, this independence, this thinking that I know everything. It is contrasted with the well-advised. That in one sense, Proverbs has been telling us there's a place of needing just others to counsel into our lives, God to counsel into our lives, this place where we would be just in that place in the multitude of counselors and and just God speaking into our life, this openness that we're supposed to be there, it's meant to be there. But pride produces strife, whereas this well-advised, this being open to being corrected and led into God's ways, it creates this beautiful place of wisdom. Now think about it, we just read it in James, right? Tells us where that pride is, wherever self-seeking I'm sorry, envy and self-seeking exist, confusion, and every evil thing are there. It says you just need to know. That's what it does. If you ignore this and you choose to say, hey, I'm going to walk in pride. I'm going to think I know better than anybody else, and I can do life on my own, and I don't need anybody's help, and I don't need God's wisdom. He said that's going to make a mess. That's going to be confusing. That's going to be evil, and you just should almost be able to mark it. Like that's, that's what that does, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, I've done that. I've, I've walked in my wisdom or worldly wisdom, and it made a mess of my life. It made a mess of spaces. C.S. Lewis talked about pride, interestingly enough, and it just had a, a good thought on it. He said, it is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, in every family, since the world began. He says, the thing that has messed up every nation, every family is pride. It's been the chief cause of pain in, in all of those spaces. He said, other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or even unchaste people, kind of in a weird way that sometimes people can even connect in ungodliness, but not so pride. He says pride always means enmity. It is, it is enmity, not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. It always divides, always. There's no place that it ever goes well. It always creates pain, or as it says it in our text again this morning, it creates strife. It's like you go this way, that's what it does. Choose that, and it's going to create that, and it's so much what we don't want. I think about even just heading into this season. I know for some of you, you are with or will see family and be a part of it. And what a great thing it would be to say, okay, God, I, I don't want that. I don't want to be the one that creates strife. I don't want to be that because if I walk in that, that's exactly what it's going to do. You know, there's a, a different way of walking, a place where I would say, okay, I want to walk in wisdom, not in pride, and may God even afresh draw us to that. All right. Well, verse 11, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished but he who gathers by labor will increase. 
giving us just a nugget of wisdom. He says, okay, so wealth that is gained by wisdom. And again, some of you have been tracking with it. I won't spend much time on it, but the New King James Version does a good job of letting us know words that weren't in the actual original Hebrew text, uh, but just they added them into our text to make it fill out well so it makes a sentence. And if they did so, they, they put it in italics, so they did thereby gained by. Those are not actually in the text. They, they make sense, but you could probably still understand it without it. Dishonest wealth. Wealth dishonestly. It's, it will bring diminishment. It, it always, if that's how you get that, if you get it in a way that is, is not, it will always have a poor return. It just works that way. But, he says on the other hand of it, he who gathers by labor, if it's, you know, you're, you're, you're working at it the way God's designed us to do, that brings blessing. That brings increase. And it's certainly one of the ways that God would have us to live, that God would call this. And he talks about this all the way through the word. We get Paul even talking about it in Thessalonians and say, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, that's not the way it works. There is this honor that's spoken into this. And he says, okay, if you're going to go at this a different direction, it's not going to go well for you. And he invites us to see just in a very practical way, yeah, that's wisdom. That's how we've been made to be designed and certainly the way he has our lives to live. Verse 12, hope deferred makes a heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. It's a well-known uh, proverb. Some of you recognize right off the bat, not hard to understand. He says, hope deferred, when there's something that you long for, something you're wanting to happen, expecting to happen, and when that is delayed, when it doesn't happen when you thought it would happen, when it doesn't happen as soon as you want it to happen, he says, that does something. It, it makes the heart sick. It just kind of brings in a sorrow. It brings in an emptiness. But, on the other hand, when that desire comes... When, when, when that would be there, when the thing that we've longed for and wanted, when that comes, it's a tree of life. It's something that's life-giving and wonderful and glorious. In one sense, again, what's amazing about this is it's just so practical. Of course that makes sense. Of course it makes sense to just look at that and say, yes, disappointment, it kind of wrecks us a little bit. It, it kind of does something that almost just empties out us on the inside. And somehow just knowing that, to have God say, that's exactly what that you're going through. It's not always a bad thing. It's not always something that went wrong. Sometimes you had an expectation, or sometimes God has another plan. But when it happens, it's just worth noting, yeah, that's what it does. But when it comes, when God, when God brings that blessing, when God opens it up, it's as if, yes, that is life-giving. It's a tree. So in one sense, it's a very powerful picture of just life and even the way we go through things. But I think there's also just more. I mean, it's certainly as we think about hope, for most of us tonight, we might understand that the greatest hope we have is, is of what's coming of Jesus coming back. And when we think about hope, it is so often called that. In the New Testament, it's called the blessed hope. It is this place where we're longing for, for Jesus to come back. And honestly, this proverb works well there as well, because for some of us, we get impatient. It's like, man, it's like, like already, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, this, this, this kind of place where I keep expecting Jesus to, you know, like he, surely he's not going to make it another you know, and our world is in such a mess, and, and, and I just think he's going to come back, and then some of us are like, man, he still hasn't come back. And sometimes that can kind of have a disheartening effect, but know this, it's only deferred. It, it, it's not destroyed. The real hope that we have is coming at a perfect time. It's just sometimes our expectation is different, and I think about what James tells us, again, in our daily reading, some of your reading today. It says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain, just knowing that there's a process to this, knowing there's a timing to it. Like the farmer does, he says, you do the same. You also, he says, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's going to come. It's just going to come. I mean, so sometimes we could almost find ourselves in the midst of this, recognizing both spaces. Sometimes just like, ah. Oh, I'm just so impatient. I want him to come back. And other times, like, I am waiting because the other side of this is coming. The desire is coming. And when it comes, it's going to be life. It's going to be this life-giving wonder like a tree that is just abundance in its source. And he calls us to just see that reality and hope even speaking to some of this, ev this evening, just inviting us, hey, be patient. 
It's coming. It is coming, but recognize the impact that happens through these things as well. Well, much there, but we'll keep going. Verse 13, he who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. He who despises the word, and certainly he's speaking here about the word of God. So if you hate the Bible, the one who despises it, rejects the Bible, he says that's destruction for you. That, that, that choice that you make to reject God's word, it actually is going to work destruction into your life. But he who fears the commandment, who recognizes the word of God and recognizes the power of the word of God, he says that's going to be rewarded. Again, just a powerful way of just inviting us to see the, the, the work of the word of God, how much we need it. Uh, William MacDonald, in his commentary, said it well. I liked it. He said, the word here is the word of God. And our attitude toward it is a matter of life and death. Whoever despises it pushes the self-destruct button. And I just liked that. He says, despise this, bu- this book, despise the word of God, and you are pushing the self-destruct button on your life. If you despise the word of God, it's going to bring in destruction inside of you. It's going to be that. Again, that's what he says. He who despises the word will be destroyed. If, if that's where you are, that's what it's going to work in that, and certainly calling us into a place that we want to be on the other side of it. Those who fear it, love it, and he says it's going to work because God's word is powerful. His word is powerful. It works into our lives. In a similar way, he kind of continues the theme a little bit in verse 14. He says, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So he holds out this law of the wise and this, this, this truth that would be there. And he says, that's a fountain of life that would be there for us. And then it's to do something. And so the kind of the way it's saying here is not a contrast, but a blessing. He says, this would do this. It would turn one away. It would be a, a correction that would keep us from that which would be destructive. It would turn us away from the snare of death. Now, the description is an interesting one. The law of the wise, the word law is the, the Hebrew word Torah. And, and some of you would immediately kind of just look, oh, that's, that's, oh, that's the Bible. That's what we're talking about. That's the first five books sometimes of the Old Testament, and certainly that picture in the midst of that. And in that, that's what he's talking about. And so much like in verse 13, where he's saying, hey, love the Bible and it will work good in your life. He says, if, if, if the Bible, if God's word, if God's law, the law of the wise, if you, you know, if you would hold to that, it would be life-giving. It's a fountain of life. Uh, the Bible is truth that changes us. Jesus says, you know, the truth, if we know the truth, it would set us free. It rescues us. It rescues us from, from the lies, from the snares that would bring a destruction to our life. And so certainly, again, calling us to be those who believe and, again, recognize and hoping it's even so tonight as you hear this, knowing that the Bible is not just an opinion. It's, it's true and, and certainly what we need to just both heed, hear, and follow. Verse 15, good understanding gave its favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. So good understanding, this place of, of wisdom, of doing what's right, following God's ways, certainly that's the context in the midst of this. He says that does something, that blesses, that, that puts favor on lives. It accomplishes good things in our lives. But the one who would reject that, the way of the unfaithful, the one who would walk in their own ways, who would not listen to God and not hear what he says, he says it's hard. It's a pretty simple proverb, but I love it. I mean, it's just one of those ones that I wish I could just kind of communicate to you how, how incredible the depth is here. Just to look at it and say, okay, listen to God, follow his ways. That's going to do good in your life. You reject it. Reject God's ways, and it's as if we could watch your life and says, that's going to be a hard life. That's going to go bad for you. That's not going to go well for you. I found myself thinking about it in a quote that's often been attributed to John Wayne. Maybe it is from him, maybe not, but just said, you know, life is hard. It's even harder if you're stupid. You know, it's a hard world. Choose to live dumb, you're going to make it harder. Choose to reject God's ways. This world doesn't become better. It doesn't become easier. Your own choice will make it harder. I think about it, and I found myself thinking of the, the story of the prodigal son. 
And, and just that story that's found there in Luke 15, and it says, you know, that he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods of the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And you guys know the story. Here's this young man who chooses to reject God's ways, lives in sin, and it goes bad for him. It's as if you watch his life just descend and descend and descend until he's in this low place where he's, you know, feeding pigs and, and, and finds himself just thinking, I want to eat even what they're eating. And then I, one of my favorite verses in the midst of that, it says, but when he came to himself, when all of a sudden he's just like, what am I doing? Like, look where I am, you know. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? Like, look at what I've done to my life. You know, I should get out of this. And I love that and long for that. You know, it's just a good word for us here this evening just to make sure that we choose and say, okay, I want that. I want to be on God's ways because that's going to go well. But if you choose to go unfaithful, you're going to make it hard on yourself. You're, you're going to make life harder. And, you know, somehow in the most gracious way, how good it is to recognize that as quick as you can. You know, I don't know if I'm speaking to somebody tonight, maybe here in this room, maybe in the overflow, maybe online, but I just want to say it this way. If you're choosing to walk away from God or walk in ways that are rejecting Him, you're choosing a course that's going to go badly, and it probably already is. I mean, the quicker that you could recognize that before, you know, you have to get all the way to, to the bottom, you know, rung on the whole thing of, you know, the prodigal son, like, what am I doing down here? You know, like, I've made a mess of my life. I mean, the, the quicker that you can realize that and get back up, you would discover how gracious our God is, how he would restore, and much like the story of the prodigal son, he would run and welcome you back. And we long for that because I'm just telling you, this is one of those Proverbs that's just so true, but so sad. I know I, I can put faces to this. Uh, I, maybe you can too. And I look there and say, the way of the unfaithful is hard. Choose to reject God, reject his ways. And I can look at your life and say, yeah, it's not working really well for you. I mean, it's just going badly for you. And it's like, you almost with compassion, like, isn't that hard? Like, why, do you, are you sure you want to keep going down this road? I mean, like, it's not going to get better. Reject truth, reject God. It's not going to go well for you. And, and, and we long for it for you because the way of the unfaithful is hard. And you don't want to live that life. You don't want to go that way. You want to turn to it and say, okay, I'm gonna, I want to be someone that says, hey, I want to I walk in God's understanding. I want to let his truth begin to govern my life because that would bring favor. That will go well for me, and he invites us to that. May he rescue, even tonight, if that's you, and just draw you back and just say, okay, I don't, I don't want to go down that path because it's an ugly path. Well, you can turn the page. Head over to page 6 there, verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. Every prudent man, so the person who's walking in wisdom, walking in what's right, he says, then that will be something that will flow out. It will flow out of, the, of knowledge. It flows out of that wisdom that's there. But a fool, someone who rejects God, rejects his ways, he lays open his folly. In some ways, this is exactly what we saw a moment ago in James when James kind of began it and just said, okay, if you're wise, live it. Prove it. Show your wisdom by what you do, because real wisdom, it is that. Wisdom isn't just a knowledge that stays in our head. It's meant to be changing our lives. And so if you're really prudent, then it's going to be acts. It's going to be things that you do that flow out of that. It's not just going to be head knowledge. It's going to be like, my life is changing because I'm, I'm doing the right thing. But if you reject it, it's also going to be equally as open. I mean, we don't even have to know. It's like, you're making a mess of your life. Like, it's pretty clear that you're following the wrong choice because it's not going to go well for you if you do that. Verse 17, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. So a wicked messenger, someone who is unfaithful. You can just imagine someone being um, you know, asked by uh, a manager or a boss, hey, I have something for you to convey, and they don't do it. They, they're unfaithful in conveying that. He says they fall into trouble, that, that they bring that. But in contrast, a faithful ambassador, someone who is faithful in, in what they've been given to say and be given to do, it brings in health. 
So again, it's worth just taking a couple moments. Again, we could do this in all the Proverbs and spend much more time than we're having uh, to spend in it tonight, but I just hope you're beginning to hopefully see the contrast. And if you ever go through Proverbs again on your own, just do that. Try to follow the contrast because it's kind of an interesting one. So we, we contrast a wicked messenger to a faithful ambassador. Kind of interesting, similar terms, but a little bit different. And the ambassador is a stronger term. That it's honestly not just giving a message, it's rightly representing, which is what an ambassador does, not just giving a message, but representing. But he says, this wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. So think about it for a moment, the contrast. Falls into trouble, health. How in, what, what's the contrast? Well, the falling into trouble probably includes both making a mess into your life if you're the unfaithful messenger, but the way the Hebrew kind of words it, it could also say that creates a mess. That in one sense, because you didn't give the message that was been given, that creates a problem and, and creates a mess. But if you're faithful, it, it does the opposite. It brings in health. In fact, it can even heal. In, in some Hebrew you know, scholars will kind of look at this and say, you know, it's that faithful ambassador that heals the wounds uh, of an unfaithful messenger that is the one who brings in that fix uh, into the mix. It would be just a powerful way that would happen in our lives. And I think about this, and I think about, you know, both that truth into our lives, but I, I even just want to encourage it for just a quick moment into the way that we live our lives. Think about Jesus, that, that right before he ascended and was talking to the disciples on the night that he, after he uh, resurrected, he said to them again, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Said in the most simple way, Christian, you're an ambassador. You're a messenger. Whether you recognize that or not is maybe the question, but we are. The reason we're still here is because we are representatives of Jesus on this earth. We're the light of the world. And so Jesus makes this incredible statement. Hey, God sent me into the world, and now I'm sending you. I'm sending you. You now have the message. You now have the only message of hope. You now have the only one that can bring that. And he calls us to be those who would be faithful. I mean, he says, okay, if we're, if we're the ones that don't do that, if we're the ones that are unfaithful when God is, you know, giving us, that, he says, that, that, that brings trouble. <laughs> and that brings trouble for you and for them. But if you would be that faithful ambassador, he says, that, that's healing. That is life-giving. To, to recognize it and say, God, I want to be that. I just want to be a faithful ambassador. I want to represent you. So that I'm both saying what you say, but as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, that I represent you in, into my world. And, and just as that, that is life-giving. And it's a good space to go. Certainly the kind of people that we are meant to be. And may God just increase that and help that all the more. Verse 18, continuing. Poverty and shame come to him who disdains correction. But he who regards a rebuke will be honored. So poverty and shame, uh, you know, to him. And so this is the consequence. It says it would produce poverty, it brings shame if you disdain correction. That's the cause, being the one who rejects correction, who doesn't hear it when, when you're confronted, when you're confronted with wrong, especially obviously by God and his truth. But he who regards it, who recognizes the power of rebuke, that will go honored. That will be uh, something that would work well into our lives. It's been said that in one sense, one of the great marks that you can almost, you know, measure the life of a Christian is how well you receive discipline, how well you receive correction. Uh, if you're someone who, you know, accepts when, when God brings things to your, 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 your life or somebody even very faithfully speaks into your life and says, hey, I love you enough to tell you, <laughs> This is not good, that's something that you're doing. Uh, this is something that's, that's only bringing harm or pain. I mean, to be someone that receives that and honors that is a great thing. But to live in a world where, for many, they don't, and you, you guys know this better than I do, I'm sure, our world is, is amping up into this place where nobody wants to be corrected. You know, you know nobody wants to, to say, hey, I'm wrong, or help me do better. I mean, everybody's offended ever that you would ever kind of get, you know, even say any of those things, and, and yet God calls us to this. He tells us that he loves us enough to discipline our lives, and, and to be someone that says, okay, God, I want that. Uh, I want to welcome that. I want to say, God, 
I know. I mean, I know I have a long way to go. I, I, I would hope that you're in a similar place. I, I think about my journey with Christ. I'm so grateful for what he's done in my life. But I know I have a lot more to go. And to get where God wants me to go, I need him to correct me. I need him to bring things in there that goes, Jim, not good. <laughs> that's, that's not me. That, that doesn't represent me. That's not good in your life. And to be the kind of person that says, okay, God, th- you know, ouch, you know, but thank you. Let's do, let, let that do good in my life. It's meant to go that way. And, and some of that is meant to be there into our lives where we welcome that process. So much we could say there, but it's enough to say it's meant to be definitive of our lives, that we are those who welcome and, and, and receive just his correction. All right. Well, turn the page over. Flip your booklet over to page seven. We get to uh, verse 19 there. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination uh, to fools to, to depart from evil. So a desire accomplished. And the word desire is, a, is almost the exact same word as the one that was used in verse uh, 11, was it back there, that talked about hope or 12, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, and so it, here's this idea of a desire, a hope that it's accomplished. It's life-giving. It's sweet to the soul. It's something that works good, but contrast that. He says, it is an abomination of fools. Like this is the outcome of it to depart from evil. Okay. We don't have near enough time to dive into this, so you might want to go to it later. This is actually kind of a confusing proverb because it's obviously a contrast, but how to contrast them has Bible students kind of like, oh, that's just... But it's not, it's not, there, there is not an, a mirror image here, like, okay, this is good and this is bad. It's like, well, we're talking, so a desire accomplished, this hope that is fulfilled is somehow contrasted to this, you know, just this, this you know, place where the, it's an abomination for fools to depart from evil. Then somehow they look at that and say, I don't want to stop doing wrong. Uh, you know, this one where someone who's wanting right gets what they wanted is, again, contrasted to the, the wicked that says, don't make me stop. I don't want to go there. And yet he's telling us they're two different things. It's this idea of the sweet to the soul, this, this destruction, this, this place that would be there, and simply a place of saying, boy, what a, what a very different contrast. Probably some, even to what we just were talking about, the way of correction in the midst of that, there's more. And so some of you may want to go deeper into that. In fact, I'm kind of looking at thinking I probably maybe should have even reversed my red boxes because it probably is more that, you know, this abomination to depart is, is this kind of bad thing and this place of not wanting to do that. But just in the midst of it, again, it's an interesting contest, but I will give you enough there just to chew on it, but obviously to say, well, we, it's, we don't want to be the ones that will refuse to turn away from evil, because that would go badly for us. We want those who want what's good, and to see that good accomplished into our lives is certainly the life that God would have for us. Verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So God has this repetitive place, like he says things to us over and over in Proverbs, and so again, he's doing that here. He says, okay, if you choose that your company, that your friends will be wise, you walk with the wise, then, then that's going to work good into your life. That will make you grow in wisdom. But if you choose that your friends and those that you really listen to, that that's going to be those who are your companions, that will bring about destruction. So we spent more time on this last week, but it talked about it there in, in chapter 12, in verse 26, and I'll even just put it on the screen there where it says, you know, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And he says, you should choose who are your friends, who really are those who influence your life because it's going to change the course of your life. Paul would say, again, there in Corinthians that we talked about last week, that don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. End of story. Choose well who that is in your life. If you say, hey, I'm gonna hang out with people that are smarter than me and they're godly and they're wise, then you know what? Fun thing is, they will begin to rub off on you but you choose to pull, hang around those and make your friends, your close friends. Again, we're not talking about the gospel. We're not talking about being a light to the world. We need to be that. But those who you allow to be your counselors, who you open up your heart to, if you choose those to be the, the fools, it will go bad for you. That, that who you choose to invest your life into will mark you. Uh, someone said it well, said, you know, show me your friends. I'll show you your future you know, show me who you choose to be your friends, and I'll show you where your future's going, and it's just simply true. 
So may God just kind of cause us to be those who choose well. All right. Well, continuing. Verse 21. Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. So evil is this idea of, of that which is bad, that which is wrong. It's just this picture of evil pursuing, you know, just sinners. That, so you have the one who is this, the sinner's the wrong one, but the evil is that which is pursuing them. But in contrast, he says the righteous, the one who, who are that, he says then good's going to be repaid. So I pause to say what we've said pretty much every week in the book of Proverbs, but we just, it's a good space to say it now. We really need to make sure we're understanding kind of the contrast. So we're talking about evil versus the righteous. Who, where is, where is this difference in our world? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus came, and he came and died on the cross, paid for our sins, so that through faith in him, we become the righteousness of God. That in one very clear sense, you can look at our world and say, the righteous are believers in Jesus, and the evil are everybody who rejects them, uh, because it's the only way to be righteous. There's only one way uh, to be righteous in our world today, and it's not found in any other space. It's not found in any other place. I mean, reject Jesus, reject the life that's in Christ, then you're, you're buying into the worldly wisdom or demonic wisdom or selfish wisdom. It's not God's wisdom, which is encapsulated in Christ. And so again, there certainly is a call of recognizing the life that is a Christ that would say, hey, that's what you need. And if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, you're righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You might not feel that. You might be like, I don't feel like I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, but it's not you, it's Jesus who has made us righteous. That said, of course there's a practical aspect of it as well, that righteousness isn't just meant to be kind of just who we are because of Christ. It's meant to change the way we live our lives. That process of sanctification where the righteousness that we're made in Christ begins to flow out into our lives. And so certainly some of the Proverbs in a very practical way are going there. And either in both those spaces, this proverb lands true. So someone who rejects Jesus, someone who chooses to live opposite God's ways, it's as if you could just look at them and say, Evil is pursuing you. Evil is chasing you. I, I think about it there in the book of Genesis. You know, you kind of have the whole thing of Cain and Abel. And, you know, at one point Cain's struggling and God just comes to him and says, you know, you know sin is lurking at the door. It, it, it is, it is lurk, looking to consume you, you know, unless you subdue it. And Cain refuses. He refuses to heed God's warning, and it does. It consumes. He ends up killing his brother and, and, and going down this horrible course of life. And you could just look at this and say, you know what? Evil is pursuing. It is lurking at the door for those who reject God and reject his ways, even if it's not fully manifest in your life tonight. If that's where you are, that's what it's doing, and you need to know that. But the other side is true as well to the righteous, to those who are righteous with Jesus and seeking to live righteously, he says, not anything that is a part of that is going to go away. I think about Jesus who, you know, said, you know, a cup of cold water given in my name, that has a reward. That the smallest displays of Christ into this world, they are acknowledged by Jesus and beautiful by him. And, and you could just look at that and say, these are going two different directions. These are going two different directions. Reject Jesus, and it's as if you could just see it as a monster, as some just evil thing. It's like they, you are being chased. You, it is pursuing you. But if you choose Jesus in his ways, what's flowing out of your life, not what's chasing you, but what's coming from you, it, it, it's going to be repaid. It's going to produce things. It, it's going to be you know, good in that way. And that's just an amazing way to say, and, and again, and a very simple way to say, it shouldn't be that hard to recognize which side of the coin you want to be on. The way of the unfaithful is hard. Don't go that way. Don't choose this path. Choose the other path because it's good. Even when, when sometimes it's not immediate results, even when you're like, okay, well, we're doing all these things. And I think about the disciples at one point, you know, Peter's like, oh, Lord, we, we've given up all these things, you know, to follow. He says, you, you, you've not given up anything that is not being rewarded. 
You know, there's not anything that you've gone through that has, you know, that you, if you're living for Christ, it's going to be repaid. And, and, and there's no way that you'll ever look and say, that was a wasted life. It will be a life worth living. Okay, turn the page, verse 22. A good man leaves his inheritance to children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So the idea is someone who's good. Again, the word man is actually supplied uh, by the English translators, not in the Hebrew, so it's just the idea of someone who's good. A, a good person in that sense of it is someone that's not just living for themselves. They're wanting to be a blessing to their children, to their grandchildren. I, I mean, there's just something good about this, the kind of person that's not just about their own self, but saying, I want to I I leave a legacy. I want to be a blessing beyond me. He says, but on the other hand, this wealth of the sinner, this person is just hoarding their life and saying, hey, I'm just trying to get everything I can while I can. He says, you're actually going to store that up to give it away. You're going to die, and eventually the meek are going to inherit the earth. I mean, all that you are will be lost, and it's a dumb way to live. But there is a beautiful picture here of just being that person in a very practical way, longing to be that person. And, and again, what a, what a good verse for some of you to adopt. You know, just thinking, I want to be a blessing to my kids and to my grandkids. I want to leave something, not just money, because money is certainly not the, the part of life. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a godly influence. I want to be someone that, that, that invests into them so that that works good in their lives. And that would be an amazing thing, the, the inheritance that some of us have had, some of you have had, of a godly grandmother who loved them, and prayed for them, and showed, them, showed you Jesus, you would say, that's the legacy. That's the person who lives, and that's the life I want to live. It's a good life to live. It's a good way to be, and certainly what he has for us. All right, verse 23. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. Much food, like much that could be there is in this place where it's not being tended, it's not being taken care of, and, and in some senses it is this picture of, of, of the poor not being able to fully enter into that, and he says, you know, on top of that, for lack of justice, there is waste. It's not a complicated proverb, it's just a biblical truth, and again, one that many of you would say in your own words, maybe saying it differently, but certainly hoping to understand it. The problem in our world, it's not the environment. Don't get me wrong, please, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody. It's not global warming. It's really not the problem in our world. The problem is sin, and the problem is injustice. And, and the problem is because of that, it, 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 it's created the problems in our world. There is incredible poverty. There is incredible pain and angst in our world. But it's not because the world is not up to it. It's not because we don't have enough, you know, space to, to plant crops or provide food. It's, it's evil. You know, I think about it this way. Dave Guzik in his commentary said it this way. According to this proverb, the lack of food for the hardworking poor is due to the tyranny, not to the environment. This is a good way of saying it. This is not really. It's not really those things. And again, for some of you, you agree with this. And others are like, boy, that's so different than what we're hearing in our world today. I mean, our world is telling us it's, it's others, but there is a sense of saying, no, I mean, the reason why, you know, there's not enough crops, why the poor don't even have that is because of lack of justice, it's wasted, and, it's, and the problem, it's, it's sin. I mean, that's the thing that's messing up our world. And again, I, I don't know about anybody else, I just kind of like it. It's like, that is so true. I mean, that is so true, you know, wherever we look at it and just to be able to recognize that it's there. All right, verse 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. There's a number of Proverbs that are going to speak to this, that are going to speak to parents in the way that you parent your children. And he simply says, if you don't discipline them, you spare the rod. You are that one that withholds disciplining, sometimes even, you know, literal physical discipline, which is a rod. It's the idea of, you know, kind of a, you know, I mean, that's what it's talking about. You know, a, a stick that would be used to spank. It says, if you do that, you hate your kids. You hate your kids because that's what would drive you there. He says, but if you really love your kids, you know, he who loves him, if, if that's what you do, you know what you do? You discipline them. You discipline them promptly. And again, it's just a powerful kind of quick thing to wash over us, but again, we just need to hear it because it's so different than our world. And sometimes even the lie that we tell ourselves. 
sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm a dad. I had three daughters. They, they're grown now, so that's still part of my life in some ways, but I certainly remember. I know that I didn't discipline them always the way I should have. And I can come back and say, you know what the real thing was? It wasn't because I was worried about them. I didn't want to do it. You know, it wasn't because I, I really like, oh, I love you too much, and so I can't discipline you. It's like, no, I was selfish, and I was, you know, I, I, I was lazy or whatever it was. It wasn't them, because here's what he's saying. He says, if we really love our kids, then discipline is a part of that. That, that you know, kids need that. They need to, hey, that's wrong. No, you can't do that. Do that. There's consequences, and that's what love looks like. Love disciplines. Love cares enough to get in the way of kids going in the wrong direction and does everything they can to be a part of it. And it says you'll do that promptly. He loves him, disciplines him. But if you don't do it, again, I just, I just, it just can't be said better than God says it. You spare the rod, you hate your kids. End of story. If you don't do it, lie to yourself if you want to and say it's love or it's, you know, you're just trying to, you know, care about who they are. No, you are not. The only thing that keeps us from being disciplinarians is our own selfishness and our own kind of place that would keep it there, but it, it would be a lack of saying, I care, I love you enough to get involved in your life. And again, I, I think about the great example of this, and you know, in Hebrews, it would say that's what God is to us. In Hebrews 12, it says, for the Lord, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And actually quoting a little bit out of Proverbs 3 in that moment, but just says, here's what our God does. He loves us. You know how much he loves us? There's not any of his kids that he doesn't discipline. If you are a child of God, you are disciplined. You are, he, he does it in your life. So much so that Hebrews goes on to say, if you don't know anything about God's discipline, then you're not saved. Because God, God, God disciplines all of his kids. I mean, he loves us enough to not leave us the way that we are. And so he says that it's his love that moves him to do that. And there's power in really becoming that one who believes that. Just grateful that God loves us enough not to leave us the way that we are, loves us enough to bring in discipline into our lives, to recognize that is a good maturity, but certainly the kind of people we want to be, that we would walk in that very thing, that we would be those who walk in that. Wow, good. All right, one last one, and we'll finish the chapter, and that's where we'll end this evening, so you can turn the page over. There in, in verse 25, he says, the righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. So the righteous, again, that's in view, this person who's right, right with God, right in his ways. He says, that is, that's, that's the course of satisfaction. You're gonna eat, you're gonna enjoy, there will be satisfaction in that. But the stomach of the wicked, the one who rejects God and rejects his ways, says, that's gonna leave you empty. That, that'll cause you to be in want. That'll be that that does bad in you. And again, it's a powerful thing that just speaks into much of what we've spoken about tonight, that the way of the unfaithful is hard, that choose to reject God's way. It's going to go badly for you. It just is. It will not go well for you. Choose God's ways. Leave, live in his ways. There's a sense of saying, that's going to satisfy Jesus said that he came to give us life and life abundantly, that there's going to be satisfaction in it. In fact, I, I like the way he says it. God says it to us in, in Psalm 17. He says, as for me, I will seek your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. I just love that verse. I mean, there's a sense of just this recognition. He says, okay, I don't know about anybody else, but as for me, as for me, this is where I, I, I'm looking forward to, to just walking with God and growing his ways here. There's certainly that, but I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to that. When I see his face in righteousness, and here's what I know, that's satisfaction. That's going to satisfy. That's not going to leave me empty. That's going to be the, the absolute satisfaction. I can just speak it in a way that I could tell you it is certainly true. And if you're on that course, there is that sense of just recognizing that's satisfaction. I mean, that's going to go a good course and, and invites us to that. But you reject God in his ways. It is going to go badly. The way of the unfaithful is hard. The stomach of the wicked will be in want. Don't go this direction. So, we end this chapter tonight, again, with just an invitation to say, you know what? There's a couple kinds of wisdom. There's godly wisdom. There's worldly wisdom, selfish wisdom, demonic wisdom. Choose God's wisdom. 
It'll go well for you. It's just, it's good. What he does in us is good. What he has for us is good. It will satisfy us here. It rescues us in his ways. May we be those who say, okay, I, I get that. I want to be more quick to, to, to be disciplined by God, to recognize his discipline, to get correction and recognize love in that and walk in that. That would be a good course. Because choose the other course. It's going to go badly. It'll leave you empty. It'll leave you just in a space that will just be miserable, and we just invite you. So again, maybe it's the whole thing. Maybe you're not right with God at all tonight, and you need to be made right with Him and need to believe upon Jesus and be saved. Then we invite you today because He's the one that can make us righteous. Or maybe you are His, but you've just been making some really bad decisions. And those bad decisions, they are working exactly what bad decisions do. They, they rob us, they empty us, they, they're, uh, they're hard. And there's just a place that just very quickly get back on track. Okay, God, I was doing the wrong game, going the wrong way, let's go the right way. Let's go back, let's, let's, let's watch you restore and do good because it satisfies, God satisfies, and he would bring you to that. So let me lead you in prayer. Let's ask God to draw us into that and may he work this into our lives in all that he has for us. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word. And I think about one of the Proverbs we read tonight that if we fear and we recognize your word is true, that's gonna go well for us. To reject your word, it's destruction. To reject your word, it's like hitting a self-destruct button. God, rescue us from that. Rescue us from, from, from destroying our own lives, from hitting that self-destruct button. Just rescue us from, from that course of life. Lord, for the one that's not saved tonight, would you draw them to the only way they can be made righteous, which is Jesus. For the one that's saved but is living badly, rescue them from the choices that they've been making and cause them to turn, return back to the good course. For those who are on that good course. And if we're on that good course, it's not perfect. We're, we're getting disciplined by you, corrected by you, constantly being reshaped by you, but it's a good course. May you speak hope to us. Hey, that, that's coming. The outcome of this, it's going to do good in our lives. It's going to be rewarded. We're going to be satisfied. This is a good course to be on. Strengthen us in that course. Strengthen our hands. Strengthen just the feeble knees, as it were, and the hands that hang down and just cause us to press and keep moving forward with you. God, I ask that for tonight that you would just strengthen us in your ways and I just echo again and say, God, your ways are good and you are good and what you have for our life is good. Thank you for that. Thank you for who you are. We honor you now in Jesus' name. Amen.